This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to have a debate. What's the better rivalry, DC versus Jones or DC versus Stipe? Plus, a couple of guests stopped by, fresh off his Contender Series win and now UFC contract, Jordan Levitt is here. Also, Chris Weidman joins us to preview his upcoming fight on Saturday. And we have a bit of fun on the show. We don't believe in cancel culture, but if you could be in charge of it for a day, who is one person you'd like to cancel? We talk about that as well. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Welcome to the show, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Uh, yes, indeed. All that good stuff. Uh, very quickly, before we get the uh, main topic to start today's show going, Cobb, are you back at Marissa's house? What's your status in terms of internet and electricity? The power is still down at my house. I am once Oof. again at Marissa's. The boss is uh, taking care of me on this one. Wow. How far is the drive from your place to hers? Not far at all. 15 minutes. Oh, well, that's not so bad. Bro, you should yeah. just sleep, sleep on her couch, man. You know what I'm saying? Just forget it. <laughs> Like I'll tell you I, what, I'm moving in. Again, I just might. <laughs> what are they telling you for restoration? They're saying tonight by 11 p.m. Oh, let me know if that comes true. I would love to know. Let me know if that comes what, true. You could bask in my misery. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> if, it, if it's not, I'm going to be like, you know what? It's not cold enough here at 69 degrees in my living room. Why don't I crank up the AC a little bit? Um, okay. 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Let's get this party started. Hey, here, let's open the show with this question. What's a better rivalry? Cormier's rivalry with John Jones or Cormier's rivalry with Stipe Miocic? I got to tell you, I got mixed feelings on this one, but I actually think it's the Stipe rivalry. Now, I, as I mentioned, I got mixed feelings, so I'm going to get to them in just a second. I actually feel like the Stipe DC rivalry is actually more of a real rivalry than anything you got with John Jones, but the John Jones one, it just at the time meant more in some ways. The Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier rivalry is kind of accidental. So it's not so clear that Stipe one is, is better. In fact, in some ways the John Jones one is just remarkably better. Now with that in mind, I guess DC kind of got to this talking to uh, MMA junkies, Mike Bond, why DC would talk to a loser of that proportion remains beyond me, but you know, neither here nor there. We have three cuts here. And to be clear, I think a lot of this will boil down to preference, which one you like more, but you should think about some of the qualities that like, think about the very best fighter rivalries you can think of. Which one of those closely matches DC Jones or DC Stipe? Here's the problem with the DC Jones one. DC lost twice and more authoritatively the second time. At least for the Stipe one, they're going to fight a third time and DC won um, one of those. All right, now we have three cuts here. In the first one with MMA Junkies Mike Bond, he expresses something that I thought was always going to be the case, which is I didn't even know this was really going to be a rivalry. Cut one. I remember when I was first asked about fighting Stipe Miocic, I never would have thought that it would have turned to this. You know, uh, three straight summers 
I've spent preparing for him. So I feel very familiar with Stipe and, 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 and the things that he wants to do. I feel very familiar with his approach. Um, and honestly, over the course of three years, you gain a, 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 I've got a bigger level of respect for him and his abilities today opposed to when I first took the fight or going into the second fight. You learn a lot about a person whenever they have become your sole focus for so long. Sounds about right to me. All right. He actually likes the Stipe rivalry more than the DC one. So, excuse me, more than the Jones one. Cut two. It'll be very difficult for me to ever be completely uh, free of that rivalry with Jones because it was so big. You know, we sold so much pay-per-view and the rivalry was so, you know, so nasty. You know, we were so nasty with each other and the general public paid attention. But competitively, this is the one that I love, you know, because um, I'm fighting a guy that, that has, has done and stood for the right things and, and has competed in the right way. Um, Jones is a fantastic competitor, and I feel like still he brought the best out of me um, in terms of my preparation, but I believe Stipe Miocic has done the same thing now. Fair enough. Uh, I, I, I don't. Everything he's saying sounds right on the, the money to me. And then lastly, he says becoming the two-time heavyweight champ, that would be the thing that defines his career. Cut three. I think becoming the two-time UFC heavyweight champion would be uh, the thing that kind of defines my career. You know, I've won a lot, Mike. I've been a lucky guy in this sport. And um, just the ability and the, the opportunity to go out on top is 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 – it's, it's unheard of. You know, we see George St. Pierre uh, constantly getting asked to come back. And just the other day, he said, you know, man, I went out on top. People don't get that. You know, I have that opportunity. And I think uh, if I can complete this task, it's as big as anything I've ever done. Okay. So that is DC speaking to MMA junkies, Mike Bond, who, of course, I'm kidding. We love Mike. Um, just giving him a hard time about the nature of these rivalries which one is better which one is better john jones versus cormier stipe miocic versus cormier 877-FIGHT-93 877-344-4893 cobb off the top of your head which one is better i think uh DC's right. I think this rivalry with Stipe is better. It's both more competitive. They each won a fight. They each lost a fight. And I do think the stakes are pretty big for this one. I think we were all hoping that maybe he could make a fight with it with Jones, but I don't know how much credit he really got or how many people really thought he could beat Jones. So it never really felt real. They had the animosity, but like the competitiveness wasn't quite there. There's not as much animosity in this one, but the stakes are big. If DC's right, if he w- walks out and wins this heavyweight title a second time, dude, that's how we remember him, not the guy who couldn't beat John Jones twice. I, I, first of all, I'm not sure I agree with that. But second of all, let me make play devil's advocate here. If he ends up smoking Miocic the second time, or sorry, excuse me, the third time they fight, won't some of the narrative be, oh, you know what? DC was always the better guy. He just slipped up in the second one. You know what? It might be. For me, Stipe just made an incredible adjustment with those body shots in that second one, and it completely changed the fight. I felt like Stipe earned that one more less than you know DC let once away. Yes, he didn't. He wasn't listening to his corner. He was just going out there and trying to throw. But 
you know what? I, I still think he was a tough guy. He landed some good shots, and there Stipe stood up to it and figured out how to adjust. So I give Stipe the credit for that one. I don't see it as much as DC slipping up, but I don't know. The MMA fans are anything but predictable as far as what, the way they see things. So I right. don't know. Yeah, no kidding. All right, 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. What would you say is the better rivalry of the two between Cormier in D.C. and then Cormier in Jones? And the truth is, the thing that makes the D.C. versus Stipe rivalry is not the thing that makes the D.C.-Jones rivalry. Right? The D.C.-Jones rivalry, super ugly. It's just in terms of the things they would say to each other. And it was just, it was hard to watch, man. I, I didn't like where we were headed with all of that, you know? Um, so that was one. Another one was, um, you know, it sold more pay-per-views. I mean, it did way better business. I don't think the DC Steep ones ever did like crazy bad, but they were not the blockbusters, you know, that Jones and Cormier were not even close. On the other hand, it's like, what were you really fighting for with Jones Cormier? At first, if, like, if Cormier could have made those competitive, and the first one was, I guess, you know, reasonably competitive or something, you know, then you could have said greatest light heavyweight ever or even maybe greatest fighter ever. But now that they're over, if they fought a third time, what would it be for? You know, the, the, the questions at that point are now settled. There's something unsettled at heavyweight. There's something un, un, um, accounted for. And, you know, trying to, get a, trying to get your head around that and accept that is sort of the key here to understanding what makes this rivalry what it is. It's not like the other ones. It's not like his other one. It's totally, uh, totally the opposite. But there are stakes involved here about what it means to be the best heavyweight ever, especially for a guy like uh, DC who spent a significant chunk of his career not even competing in that division. We're trying to answer which Stipe, or excuse me, which Cormier rivalry is better. But I don't think you can do that until you fully understand what makes a rivalry a rivalry. Now, part of the reason why the two rivalries are very different and yet we're even having this question is because both tend to fulfill the requirements of what we're looking for. So here's what I mean by that. What's one thing that makes a rivalry great? And that is that each side has given in blood, both in winning and in losing, right? That, so that each incremental win or perceived victory over the other counts in the total of this war of attrition. In that sense, the Stipe rivalry is better, right? Because it's just eminently more competitive. There's more to be won and lost with each perceived uh, issue and, and, and moment. Okay, so that's one. However, on the other side of things, the ratcheting up of tensions and how much everything matters, what, what you say about them and the, and the ugliness that compels you to hate them and how much you desperately want to get victory over the other one and how hot and heated and, and nasty it can get. I mean, in some ways, there are much greater stakes involved, which we'll talk about just a second with the Miocic rivalry. But in terms of the things aforementioned just now, I mean, the Jones rivalry wins that one walking away. It's not especially competitive. So that part has it. I think another one, as I just mentioned, though, is stakes. Like, what's at stake? Now, it, it was 
there was something at stake, especially heading into that second uh, Jones-Cormier fight, the one in, uh, was it 2016, 2014? I can't remember anymore. There was something involved there, to be sure. At the same time, though, with given the outcome and where we are now, you know, it's not even a matter of debate. Like, there's the stakes involved for this Stipe back and forth is just so much greater now. Even though the other, even though the, it's, so it's funny, right? Because because it's been competitive at heavyweight with Stipe, that brings the rivalry to life in terms of the stakes. So it's funny that you can be talking about like, oh, who's the best heavyweight ever? But you can't have that conversation at light heavyweight because Jones kind of answered that question for you pretty emphatically. So to me, like people always talk about the rivalry at, at, at times between Nova Uniao and Team Alpha Male. It's like, dude, I don't think there's a rivalry between lions and gazelles. You know, that doesn't, that's not quite right. You have to have a rivalry. You have to have people that can take something from the other. And, you know, Nova Uniao for a time was just feasting on Team Alpha Male guys. Now, it's obviously less a, a thing these days, but at the time, that was big. So in that case, it's like, I mean, Cormier made the first fight competitive. I thought you could, he could have won a couple of rounds, but he didn't win it. And the second time, he got finished, you know? So it lacks that. It lacks the, uh, the stakes. It lacks the competitiveness on the Jones side. But it has all of the celebrity. It has all of the pomp and circumstance. It's ha- it has all of what makes Auburn versus Alabama what it is. But without the fact that sometimes Auburn wins and sometimes Alabama wins. Right? It's, it, 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 that, that, that really kind of ruins it for me. So I'm going to tell you, I think the better rivalry to be quite honest, in terms of meeting the various key portions of the criteria, it's going to be um, DC Stipe for me. The fatal flaw in the DC Stipe rivalry is the lack of connectivity between the two. You know, it's kind of funny. Jones and Cormier always felt like it was a zero-sum game where they had to knock the other person off to get where they wanted. And of course, that's exactly what is happening in DC Stipe. But it feels a little bit more like they're racing in independent lanes towards the same goal. You know, like they don't have the same kind of, I've got to beat you. Yes, I want to be the greatest heavyweight of all time. Yes, I want to be the UFC heavyweight champion. But I want to... It doesn't have that same, like... I've got, and I want to beat you to do it. I want to make sure that I eat your heart out. It doesn't have that. Not nearly as much as the Jones one. The Jones one had, you know, in fact, it was, here is what really separates the two. In the Jones case, yes, they were looking for a belt, right? That was a big deal. But really, that's not what it was about. It was like, I want to take what John Jones has and is as a person. I want to make him suffer and then vice versa. Right, the title was almost not quite, but almost a door prize. It's the exact opposite with DC and Stipe, 
which is not that I want to make DC, uh, DC or Stipe suffer. I want to I want to show them personally. I want to make this personal. No, it's I want to climb the ladder fastest to get the belt and uh, to claim this mantle of best heavyweight. It just so happens I have to do it against you. If you could combine the two, you would have something close to the most perfect rivalry imagined. Right? I mean, you, it's hard to think of a rivalry that would be better if you could take the best of what DC and Jones had and then the best of what DC and Stipe had. But the, the lack of it being super personal on one side and the totalizing experience of it being personal on the other is really what separates it here. Formula One Racing on Sirius XM. Precision, performance, and speed. The F1 Series opens Sunday. It's the Austrian Grand Prix. Pre-race coverage starts at 8 a.m. Eastern. Then go live to the track at 9 Eastern for turn-by-turn racing action. Followed by a complete post-race recap. Hear it on Dan Patrick Radio Channel 211. Or at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. Let's go to our guest now. He won a contract on Tuesdays. Contender series with a, uh, a beautiful arm triangle there in the first round. It is, uh, I think, is a native Las Vegan. I think that's how you say it. It's Jordan Levitt. Hi, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing well. Is it? Is, is that how you say it, Las Vegan? Yeah, Las Vegan. Okay, and you're native there, right? Aren't you like multiple generations of Las Vegans? Yeah, my great grandma moved here, so I'm a fourth generation Las Vegan. How did how did that end up being a thing? How did, what, what's the story there? Do you know? Um, well, my ancestors they were um they were Mormon polygamists, and they came across the plains, and then they settled in Utah, and then they came to Vegas about almost I guess a hundred years ago, about, and we've been here ever since. Are you Mormon? I am. Yes. Yes. Well, so I had a friend who was Mormon in high school. Uh, he had to spend like, what is it? Two years going on one of those like journeys. You see these, uh, the kids that are always in pairs and they go door to door and they're, you know, I think it's a faith related service. I, I forgive me of my ignorance. If I don't have the details correct, but what is that? And did you have to do that? Oh yeah. You're talking about a mission. I did not do that. Um, when you go from like 18 to 20 or 19 to 20, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't do, I didn't take part in that. I was focusing on my fighting. Um, and then school, but a lot of people, yeah, most kids my age at that time did that. Yeah. What, what is the rule you have to just, or are you trying to, are you trying to just convert people to, uh, Mormonism or what's the thing? You're supposed to be a representative, representative of the church, you know, um, go out there, do service. And then of course you proselytize and, um, talk about the faith and everything, but it's mostly just about having a church presence around the world and being an example of that. Got it. Okay. Well, very good. That's super interesting. I don't know about but how many Mormon fighters are there, right? I mean, they're the nicest people on earth. Not too many. Yeah, I, I don't really know of any of them. So I might be the first one. <laughs> what do, what do uh, other Mormons say when you're like, oh, what do you do for a living? You're like, oh, I fist fight guys in a cage. That must be like, well, Jordan, we don't know about that. No, it's, I've actually gotten a lot of support. Um, it's very like the culture. They're very into wrestling and everything. Wrestling is uh, very popular in like the church culture, so a lot of them think it's really cool. All of my, a lot of my support comes from people from my church, and it's been that way since I've been in high school. They've always supported me. 
Very good. Uh, all right. So you're currently a student at UNLV, as I understand it. Is that right? Yes, I am. Um, what, what are you studying there? Um, political science, but then I plan on getting my master's in teaching. Now, with the, with the master's, is that uh, after undergrad, or are you doing one of those undergrad programs where you get both at the same time? When I get both at the same time. So that puts your graduation date how many years delayed? Well, now that I'm in the UFC, it'll probably be part-time. It's maybe like five or six. <laughs> yeah, you're not you're going to be 30 before you get your degrees, man. Uh, I mean, uh, still, it'd be a great achievement. But um, what, do you, what do you like? What, you know fighting isn't forever. So I'm guessing on some level, you'll just keep doing it while you're good at it. And then when, you know, everybody's day comes to an end on that level, what is the plan to, to use the, uh, the, the post-secondary education? Um, yeah, I just... I've always wanted to work with children. Um, there was a long time where I wanted to go to law school and be a family law lawyer. So in that way, I could work with custody battles and divorces and help out families in that way. Um, but then I've, I got, I've had more time to think about it. I've decided I probably just really wanted to be a teacher. My life was influenced a lot by teachers I had throughout my life. And I just want to be able to do that for children. Are, are all your studies, they must be with this whole COVID thing. They must all be remote at this point, right? Yes, they are. It's kind of a, it's definitely a big change. So were you living on campus at any point as an undergrad? Because you're based in Las Vegas, so I wonder how that worked. Oh, no. Luckily, no. I've all, I lived with my family, and then when I got married, I moved out. So yeah, I've never had to live on in the dorms. Okay, that's a very, you had a completely different collegiate experience than I did. You had both a, a once-in-a-century pandemic, you were married, and you never lived in the dorms. So, um, okay, so let's talk about political science here before we get into your fights, because I'm sort of curious about this. It's not often I get to talk about fight to fighters about this. So what is it about that that made you want to study? Because I also, I'll, it's cards on the table, I double majored in philosophy and political science. Why, why political science? Um, honestly, it probably isn't the best reason. It was 2016. And I was a psych major and the plan was law school. So I was just trying to get an easy degree. So 2016 was happening with Trump mania, just starting to bloom and blossom. And I kind of just wanted to go into a class and argue with people for a semester. Thought it would be an easy A. And, you know, I took more political science classes than I took more. And then I ended up having more credits for political science than I did for psychology. Then I just switched. I mean, now I just get to argue with people in every class for like um, for years now. <laughs> you seem like the nicest, most combative guy, if there's such a thing. <laughs> I actually get put a lot. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, so before we switch topics here, give me something you have read in political science that has been, um, not to say that you adopt all the ideas per se, but something that has been, that, that sticks with you, some influential piece of text or book or paper you've read. One, the one principle I learned in one of my electoral politics classes was basically like, we're all aware of the lies we tell in politics. And he's like, it's our job to recognize them in private and to ignore them in public. Um, it's like the whole idea where you could be in a debate with somebody and they could totally prove you wrong on one point, And then your next debate, you use the exact same talking points, knowing that you're wrong on some point. Um, and the fact that everyone was so candid about that in the major definitely kind of makes you lose your hope. And humanity, but also it's just the idea that you tell a lie in public that you know is um, you tell a lie in public when you know the truth in private. It's simply one principle that has stuck with me, and it still bugs me. 
Yeah, it is a, uh, a, a, a the more you learn about the conditions under which change happens and sometimes not for the best, it is uh, sometimes disquieting. All right. So let's talk about fighting. I, I would love to know the story here. A guy who obviously you're bright. You grew up uh, Mormon, native Las Vegas. I'm guessing the fact that you're from Las Vegas means that MMA has an outsized role in your upbringing just by virtue of osmosis, if nothing else. Right. I mean, it's the fight capital maybe of the world, certainly of the United States. How did it come across your radar? Well, actually, it's I didn't really know what it was. Um, I didn't mm. realize what MMA was until I was in high school. I joined the wrestling team because my friends joined the wrestling team. And it was very hard. Wrestling was hard. I definitely wasn't prepared for it. So I quit, and I quit on a Saturday. And then I turned on you know, Spike TV, just turned on the TV, and then I saw The Ultimate Fighter. I think it was season 10, like Rashad Evans versus Rampage. Um, and I was watching this, and I'm like, this is really cool. I'm like, I can't wrestle, but this looks a lot easier. I think I could do this. It seems a lot more fun. And so I watched like the entire season. And then I told my mom I wanted a punching bag for Christmas. And then I haven't looked back since. Wow. So that's how I and so, it. yeah, it's incredible. And so you've made your way this far. When you got the call to the Contender Series, how did you know you were ready for that, right? Um, for me, I think I was the last person to know I was ready for that. Everyone has been telling me um, how talented and how ready I am. They've seen me spar people in the gym of a very high level. But for me, I just definitely had to figure out for myself um, how good I am. And I had to learn how to believe in myself and to be confident in my abilities. So as soon as I got the call, all this, I felt validated. I felt like, okay, if, if the UFC thinks I'm ready to get this shot, then I must really be ready for this shot. And this last fight was the least nervous I've been for any of my fights. Like, by far. I felt like I could just go out there and perform the way I know I can perform. So let's talk about what he did. Eventually, you, I think you shot in uh, from fairly far away. and He tried to lock up various control positions through guard. Once he did that, what were you thinking? Like, what was the plan of attack at that point? Yeah, like, the entire game plan was to shoot the low single Kazushi Sakuraba style. Um... We knew he would try to take my back, and we knew I could outscramble him. We planned on that. Um, his guard, his guard work was actually kind of slick. It caught me off guard. He actually made me be a little more patient than I wanted to. Um, but yeah, he went to the Kimura transition and to the triangle. And then he let me slam him, and then I felt the steam kind of leave him. And then once I dragged him to the cage, I got that wrist control. I just kept riding him out. Um, and eventually, I could tell that he was starting the breaks. So and I turned him over and got the arm triangle. It went a lot easier and faster than I anticipated, but I'm really happy about that. It looks better. The arm triangle, you know, that is something that is, it's a really interesting submission, right? Because you can get guys like Sterling, and he is very rare, but he can catch it from underneath because he's got such a tremendous squeeze. But a lot of times, it's not, it's the, it's not, like, a, um, it's not like a heel hook where it's a zero to 60. Usually with a, a head and arm triangle, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to like really lean into it, squeeze into it. So you have to walk it out at an angle at certain times. In yours, it popped on just like that. Do you have a Aljamain Sterling squeeze, or were you surprised that this guy tapped that quickly? No, I have a very good squeeze. I always hear that from people. Um, and the arm triangle is definitely one of my higher percentage submissions. Um, Neil Melanson, shout out to him. He really helped me kind of hone that technique. Um, I could finish it from half guard. I've even finished it inside somebody's guard on purple belts and brown belts. No black belts yet, but I'll get there. Um, but yeah, my squeeze on that choke is pretty unreal. Have you ever seen the Rick Story uh, head and arm triangle inside Brian Foster's guard? 
Oh, yes. I remember being like 16 or 17 and being so frustrated watching that. I was like an orange belt. And I'm like, come on, just, you know, hipscape, just get out of there. And I remember thinking that guy, I'm like, that's not a real move. There's no way. But now that I hit that, I'm like, well, you know, it has to be kind of real. <laughs> yeah, well, you must have an unbelievable squeeze to do that. So when, when you were coming up, you mentioned Sakuraba. You seem to like been both. Because here's the thing, dude. I talk to fighters. Sometimes they're fans of the sport. Sometimes they're not. they're not. They're not guys who watch MMA, per se. Although it seems like you are at least a little bit. So who were you a fan of before you were a fighter? Ooh, before I was a fighter. So Sakuraba, for sure. I was a really yeah. big fan of Dominic Cruz and Leota Machida. Um, I liked how different they looked compared to all of their people they were fighting. And then one person that's very low key, but Brian Ebersol was probably one of the most influential people when I was the hero. Yes. The hero. Why him? Um, I watched him fight Chris Lytle and I saw him start off of a cartwheel kick. And I'm like, Oh, this guy's about to get smoked. And the way he would force guys to guillotine them. So their arms would get tired. Then he would slam them. And he just, was confident in his defense and he used a lot of unorthodox tactics to bring people into his world. And it got me, to, it got me thinking. And I still think I still watch his fights very regularly. I'm like, what unorthodox things can I do that I can catch people that are better than me? in, so I could like outmaneuver them. And Brian Ebersol definitely a big influence on me when I was younger. <laughs> that is interesting. I haven't heard that one before. That's very, very cool. And now when you look around, I'm not saying guys, you copy it. I don't mean that, but when you think about the game changers now, right? If you were still a kid, who do you think you would be gravitating towards? Who out there do you look around and you say, man, that guy's doing something not only just spectacular, he's ahead of the game or, or he's a little bit different. Um, Ryan Hall for sure. Um, I remember watching his triangle videos like, 10 years ago and right angle. Fight. Yeah. Such a good DVD. Um, and I watch him just, throw Van Damme spinning kicks and fall to his butt and people are scared of him so he could do whatever he wants. And I'd like to get to that level on the ground. I also, um, I feel like Damian Maya, he's been amazing for a decade, more than a decade. I definitely look up to those guys, even though they're specialists, I feel like I'm not really a specialist. I definitely train my striking more hours a week than my grappling, but I definitely look up to those guys. Well, I have good news for you. Uh, Demi and Maya told us in the last interview we did with him, he, he's going to put it out when he retires. So that's not too long from now, like, you know, probably less than a year. He says he has built up a reservoir of knowledge for jujitsu just for MMA. And he's going to do a big DVD series on it and then put it out once he's retired. And I got to tell you, I cannot wait to see that. I'm, I, I suspect you are probably along the same lines. I totally am. Like the first thing I bought after I got this win bonus for this fight, I bought Ryan Hall's 50-50 course and I'm looking it up right now and I will definitely be there for Damian Maya's course. That's so funny. I actually last week I brought I bought not the 50-50 course, I bought the half guard course uh on uh, his site and I was watching that as well. Are you like a big fan of instruction? I, I have to tell you, you know, I'm 41 now. I can't hardly train anymore plus with the pandemic it's a thing. I got a kid. My life is in a different stage. So better than nothing, it's not a substitute for it, but better than nothing is it to at least watch some of these instructionals. What are some of the better ones you've seen? Um, ooh, Blackland Giles and stuff and Donna Hairs of course. They're great. Next level. Um, I'm impartial. But like Neil Melanson, I have all but two of his DVDs. So I bought his book when it first was published, his triangle book. And I definitely, those three people in particular, I definitely like their instructionals the best. 
Um, I like people who innovate the game and will see something that we all have seen before, but then give a little detail that changes everything. But I definitely like their instructionals. I've not seen any Neil Melanson ones, so I guess I am sleeping. And with your recommendation, when I finish this Ryan Hall one, I will check that out, Jordan. Uh, I got to tell you, man, not a very different conversation with you. By the way, you were born the 6th of, excuse me, you were born the 2nd of June, 1995. I had just finished my sophomore year in high school. So you know what, Jordan, I don't like you anymore because you are, you are criminally younger than me. But seriously, congratulations, man. Looking forward to seeing what's next for you. Thank you very much. All right, there he is, Jordan Levitt. Congratulations to him. Luke Thomas Show, coming right back. The experts of MLB Network Radio. When you get fooled by a pitch, you think, okay, let me wait longer. Steve Phillips. And then what ends up happening is you wait too long for the foot striding forward, hitting the ground, the hands going back. You then rush to get to everything, and the only way to get there is to pull off the ball to try to get your hands through, and the outer third of the plate is lost to you. Baseball talk at the next level. MLB Network Radio, Sirius 209. XM 89 and on the Sirius XM app. We are joined now on the hotline by a gentleman who is going to be in the co-main event on this Saturday's card. A return to middleweight, in fact. A lot to get to with him. It is Chris Weidman. Chris, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, Nice to talk to you, man. It is. It's been a long time. You know, it's kind of funny, uh, Chris. There's been a lot of controversy uh, recently about refing. A little bit about Herb Dean. And Dan Hardy made a video sort of responding to some things that Herb has done, and he brought up your fight with Rockhold. Do you look back on that as a stoppage that was a little bit late, or do you have no issues with it? I I have no issues with that at all. Um, I could see how maybe you could say it was late, but um, I put no thought into that, and I have no issues with that at all. All right, fair enough. Just curious to see where you were on that, given the uh, the recency of it. All right, so you're back at middleweight. How are you feeling about going back to middleweight? Can I be candid with you and say I didn't I didn't think that going to 205 was a bad move. I just didn't think it was a necessary one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just uh, I feel good about being back at 85. You know, I just feel when I was up at 205, I mean, I wish there was more I could have take at, taken out of that fight with Reyes than I did because it was, you know, a quicker fight. And um, But, I, you know, going into that fight, not really being strict with dieting um i feel like was kind of gave me a lackadaisical mindset just throughout the whole camp and um not didn't really feel like i was preparing for a fight and uh so you know i don't have too many more years left in the sport and uh you know i'm willing to work my ass off and have no regrets and and diet is a big part of it and then for this fight camp you know just it's been a lot of discipline for a long for a long time long, longer than the fight camp um on having a clean diet uh because because getting the weight down is harder than ever you know um because my body has isn't as used to it anymore and also because i'm getting older um you know it, it, it was definitely took took uh you know no no cheating and just strict diet and then it led to like you know more more workouts and because I just feel way more prepared and I feel more ready for a battle than I did kind of like, you know, just showing up to fight. Does the Do you have a concern at all that like, okay, going back to middleweight, this is where you had certainly done your best work. Um, but as you get older, you mentioned it's harder to get the weight down. But So does that require more work? And if that requires more work, does that cause potential risk to uh, for injury? I would, I would say uh, yes. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I've been doing that I never did before was I started, 
I started uh, strength training since December consistently three or four days a week, and I always hated strength training. I'm more just like all about com- competing and doing you know jujitsu and wrestling and, and sparring and stuff like that. I hate I always hated doing strength, so I kind of forced myself to do that, and I feel like that really helped um, keep the body together um, because this is probably the, the longest I've been in the gym consistently without having injury, and uh, you know I, I I think it's really uh, paying off. So, I, I do feel great. So when you say strength training, you mean I mean I, I'm imagining weight training, but I'm not imagining football workouts. So like, give me an example of what that means. Yes, yeah, strength training, but yeah, not not like you know I'm not just benching the whole time. Just kind of sports specific uh, strength training where I, I will do you know bench press, I'll do push ups, I'll do you know, just all different types of things where like you know, my strength coach will kind of come up with the workout. I just kind of follow it, um, and I don't know. It's like an hour, hour and a half workout. And you know, warm up, strength, uh, and then um, cool down and stretch, and then I'm out of there. So I guess I, guess, just, I feel like for my joints, I feel like for my joints and everything, and just keeping everything stronger is uh, is helpful. No, it can only be. I guess what I'm wondering is, to what extent does that mean more muscle mass? And if it's more muscle mass, that has to mean the weight cut is harder too. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know how much muscle I put on, but. I'm going to say I probably put on a little bit just because it's my first time being consistent with strength training, and it's been since December. Uh, and the weight was – it did take a while to get off to the point of where I would like to usually be at before I start. Like, like So my goal is always to get down to, like, around 200 for fight week. And uh, to do that, you know, is, is never the easiest thing to do, but it's just kind of a lot of discipline. Uh, but I'd always be able to have like cheat meals and stuff like that to kind of get back to my diet. This time, you know, I, I, at one point I was struggling to get on the 215. I was eating healthy for like three, four weeks. And uh, no matter how many workouts I was doing, like my calorie deficit, uh, it was like struggling getting down there. So, um, it, you know, I kind of plateaued there. And then next thing I know, it kind of started dropping. And I'm right where I want to be now uh, before fight week. It just took a lot of discipline to get that fat off. Um, to get down to the weight I wanted to get to for five weeks, um, more than usual. No, no cheat meals, no pizza, no bagels. Um, just really consistent dieting and, and, and hard workouts. No bagels. That's a huge sacrifice. Uh, yeah, huge sacrifice, bro. Huge sacrifice. I always love, I always love to come in the Monday a little chubby, you know, and bloated. Um, but now, now I was just, I was just in great shape. The whole time, and I, yeah, it just feels—it feels good to be healthier. I'm just healthier in general, like just way more health conscious uh, than I ever been. Like I don't do dairy anymore, um, uh, but I don't really do gluten. You know, I haven't. You know, so I just this past year, I really kind of just cleaned up a lot of that stuff, and I do feel way better. What is the what is the argument for eliminating dairy? When you think it's dumb. And you can't hold it in way too often. Exploding. I'm pretty. I, I, I'm lactose intolerant, and I figured that out a little late in my life. Uh, that plus also, like when I start, when I had my neck injuries, um, one of the things that the doctor recommended was to go on an anti-inflammatory diet. And one of the main things that causes inflammation in your body is dairy. So um, I started cutting it out then, and then I realized, wow, my stomach feels way better. And then that's the one thing that I kind of kept. Uh, I kept going throughout, um, even after I had the neck, neck issues, I, I still stuck with the non-dairy stuff, and I really did 
I feel better. Like my joints, you know, less inflammation is always a good thing. Yeah, it certainly is. All right, so let's talk about your opponent, Omari Akhmedov. He's an interesting guy, right? Like he doesn't have um... – He's got a good resume, not the most impressive resume, but the one thing that sort of stands out to me is he's pretty consistently performing well, but he, win or lose, his fights tend to go the distance. When you size him up, what do you see? Um, you know, I see a, a guy who's on six-fight win streak, probably, um, you know, confident. He, this is a big fight for him, so I, I know he's going to really want to get this win. He, as far as styles, he's, he's a guy who fights hard. Uh, in all positions, he uh, he he swings, you know, he swings uh, a little crazy on the feet. Um, he's not afraid to go for takedowns. But yeah, as far as the negatives, like I feel like he's definitely a little sloppy, um, one-dimensional. I would say not too not he's not too diverse with his with his striking, a lot of hooks, uh, and he gets tired. Okay. Yeah. So the issue for uh, with a guy like this, what is it like? Just to get a W no matter what, or is there a little bit of a contender series vibe where it's like uh, you got to go and make a statement? I mean, every single one of my fights, win or lose, I've always I've always gone for it. I don't think I've really been in any boring fights. So my goal is always to make a statement. You know, um, yeah, that's 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 the goal. You know, I want to get my hand raised, obviously, but I you know, I also want to do it in a um, in an exciting way and in an impressive way. Is there an argument to make, and I'm not saying that there is, but is there an argument to make that um, if you were more risk-averse, that would be better for your odds of winning? Uh, I'm sure. Is there, is there an argument for that? Yes, of course. Um, I also might not be a champion if I, if I played risk-free. No, you gotta go for it. You know, I, I, at the end of the day, I, I just don't want to regret. I always want to follow my instincts. When it says go, go, you know, and because of that, I, I don't really have regrets. It's just uh, I just do my best in every moment and follow my instincts. And then the instincts come from habits you build in training. And um, you know, that's it, that's it. You know, a lot of my losses, it's um, you know, winning the fight and 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 uh, mistake is made and, and I lost. But you know, these are all great fighters. That I've lost to um, well, some of the best in the world, um, and it just happened to be their night. And, and I also don't feel like every single time it's the, the best fighter overall that wins that night. It just happens to be the guy who uh, was better that night, and they were. Yeah, well, what do you make of that too? It's like to your point. If you go through some of your losses, it's not like they were like one-sided beatings from beginning to end. In fact, quite the opposite. It's you who's usually winning the majority of them. And then, of course, something else happens at the end. I mean, some of them have been a little bit more back and forth, but in general, you know, it's not. You know, for example, the Romero fight, you were winning handily up until the third. Uh, the Jacare fight, you had a great fight up until the end. So, like, what do you make of how it sort of just is going your way until it's not? Um. Some of it I just kind of attribute to the randomness of mixed martial arts. Some of it I attribute to uh, maybe not complete focus at the right time, maybe making a mistake, you know, which is which happens. Um, and uh, just the way the way it goes, you know. And um, yeah, obviously, I wish it didn't. I wish those events didn't happen the way it did, but. It is what it is. It's all learning experiences um, with each one of those fights. 
So Connor said something that made me think about uh, a lot of fighters who are have a little bit more senior in their career, which is thinking about plans. Obviously, the plan is to get back and get as much out of it, as you mentioned, with the years you have left. But what is your plan for 2020? What is, what is your thought about how the year should end and where you should be at that point? I want to I wanna go out there and dominate Amari. I want to fight as soon as possible again, you know. Um, so I, I just want to get in there and then give me somebody else. I don't care who it is, uh, but I want to make a statement in this fight and then get right back out there. I feel healthy. I've been training. I, you know, I was supposed to be fighting in May and then June and July. Now it's August. So I've been in shape and I've been preparing and uh, my body is feeling great. So I just want to continue as, as quick as possible. Uh, I would love to get even, if possible, two more fights before the end of the year. All right, before we let you uh, On top of this. On top of this one, so you could uh, you could have potentially four between now and January one. No, three. Oh, three. Okay. Three, yeah. So Amari and then two others. Got it. Okay. That would be the goal. That would be that would be amazing. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Before we let you go, get your uh, uh, predictions here. It looks like a middleweight title is going to be up for grabs in September. Adesanya and Paulo Costa. What is your sense about that bout? Who do you think is going to get their hand raised? You know, uh, and I don't know. I sh- I'm struggling with that one. Uh, I'm going to go with Israel. I go back and forth on that, though. Tell me why. Um, you know, it's a five-round fight. I want to see I want to see that. I think in five rounds, Israel has an advantage. Um, you know, there's obviously the chance that Polo catches him early and uh, brings that chaos and, and Israel goes down. But um, I'll take cardio for the odds anytime. Fair enough. Uh, Chris, can't wait to see you back this Saturday against Amari Akhmedov. Wish you nothing but the best, and we really appreciate your time. All right, yeah, thanks for having me on. Make sure you check out Rick Hamler and Antonio Daniels on Give and Go. That's not what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Mm. We have entered the Twilight Zone <laughs> 43 minutes into the show. I'm a little bit of a rebel here. Stand up, sit down, and put your arms out. Huh. I love you, and I so appreciate your call, but come, come on, bro. Give and Go, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, weekdays on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Sirius 207, XM86. Luke Thomas Show, we are back. If you could cancel one celebrity, I'm not even saying you have to be in favor of it. And not just celebrity, public figure, somebody of note. If you could be king for a day, you could cancel one person. Who would it be? Here's why we bring this up. Cobb brought this to my attention. The home of Jake Paul, and by the way, Cobb, did you see the size of this loser's mansion? I mean, you want to talk about a palatial estate? That is putting it mildly. Dude, it bothers me so much that someone that awful has that house. Like, what am I doing I'm, with my life? <laughs> yeah, I'll never live in a house that nice, and I have done nothing but spent my life in pursuit of craft. So here's the story from CNN, but you can read this anywhere. Uh, a law enforcement official confirms to CNN that FBI agents executed a federal search, excuse me, federal search warrant, uh, at Calabasas, California, home of YouTube celebrity Jake Paul on Wednesday. FBI public affairs specialist Laura L. Miller tells CNN the search is in connection with an ongoing investigation. The affidavit in support of the warrant has been sealed by a judge, and the FBI is prohibited from commenting on the nature of the investigation. L. Miller tells CNN no arrests are currently planned. CNN has reached out to Paul for comment. 
Now, uh, one of our, I think our interns said this, or somebody said it during the break. In June, Paul was charged with criminal trespass and unlawful assembly after video showed him in Scottsdale, Arizona at a mall as it was being looted. In a Twitter post, Paul denied that he had, he and anyone else was within uh, their, you know, engaged in any kind of looting or vandalism. So on Wednesday, the Scottsdale Police Department said it is dismissing the charges against Paul and friends, which also included a person by the name of Armand Izadi and Andrew Leone. The Scottsdale, quote, the Scottsdale Police Department and Scottsdale City Attorney's Office are coordinating with the United States Attorney's Office for the District of Arizona and FBI to ensure that justice is served regarding criminal acts at Scottsdale Fashion Square on May 30th. It is in the best interest of the community to dismiss misdemeanor charges without prejudice so that a federal criminal investigation can be completed. Scottsdale retains the option to refile charges depending on the outcomes of the federal investigation. Cobb, what does that mean? No idea. No idea. You know what? This is the best news I've seen in 2020. (laughs) So far. (laughs) 2020 has been nothing but a disaster for virtually everybody. And yet this news warms the cockles of my heart. By the way, I'm here from the LA Times. The FBA raid, FBI raid, excuse me, uh, oh man, they're gonna make me pay for this. I'm not gonna click on that. God damn it! From Vanity Fair, they note. Um, let's see what they had to say. By the way, it was an, a SWAT raid on his home. According to the Los Angeles Times, multiple weapons were found on the property, and federal agents walked at least five guns out of the house. Los Angeles's ABC7 Eyewitness News captured surreal aerial footage from the raid full of bizarre juxtapositions of the playful lifestyle and something more sinister. In some, the SWAT team congregates in his circular driveway, unloading weapons next to Paul's statue of a stick figure, holding four Rubik's Cubes. What 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 an absolute zero this guy is. One image shows a... I know, it's like you don't even know what good art is if your life depended on it, you effing zilch. One image shows a long gun propped up against his hot tub. Uh, Let's see. Paul's lawyer claimed that he was not in the house during the radio. Yeah, I bet he wasn't. We understand that a search warrant was executed at Jake's Calabasas home while he was out of state. We are still gathering information and will cooperate. Uh, another YouTuber, this guy, Armand Izadi, who I mentioned, uh, was, his home was also raided, Cobb, by the FBI. Did you know that? According to his Instagram story, he was in the middle of painting his home pink when the raid began. Jesus Christ, these guys. <laughs> why, why would you why does that have to be in the story oh you know i was just painting my thing pink like yeah you still have to be a youtuber to the end i guess like who cares oh my god and this is literally what he said i get it you guys are really concerned about the raid that went down at my house meanwhile we've got a mansion to paint yeah i'd love to paint it with your blood um again we sort of have seen all that blah 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 the incident also has not been Paul's first run-in with the law on Wednesday. The Sun reported that a $2 million tax lien was placed against him last year and is still unpaid. Oh, that's even better news. Shouldn't come as a surprise that Paul was apparently assembling an arsenal as Calabasas mentioned. In 2017, he posted a video where he gleefully documented the process of getting a large tattoo of a rifle. It's not a rifle, it's an AK-47. Emblazoned with the Gucci logo and shooting a bullet. Uh, in a video from July about a prank war, two long guns are displayed on a wall. His brother Logan Paul has uh, shown that they are not particularly adept at telling uh, 
when a playful prank has crossed the line to something gauche or even sinister. Uh, we'll see what happens. Okay, so the question here is, if you could cancel one person, I'm not saying you have to believe in cancel culture, you know, and I realize here I am like promoting it. We're just having fun. We're not actually calling for it. We're basically just delighting in what would, what, like if you, you know, it's one of these questions like, if you won the lottery, what would you do with it? Kind of a thing. Like no one's saying go rob a bank to get that money. Okay, I'm not even telling you to play the lottery for crying out loud. If you won the lottery, what would you do? If you won the lottery of cancel culture, how would you use it? For sure, Cobb, it would be getting rid of this zero. And this is not even just because the FBI raided his place, which, oh my God, for the love of Jesus, please, if there is if there is any hope in this world, and I don't have much anymore, it will be watching these no-talent zeros go to prison, okay, and, and worse. Uh I was going to say, Cobb, if you look at the name, I have certain names muted at all times on Twitter. Logan and Jake Paul are two of them. I've been hating these two idiots, and I got offered a chance to interview them, and I turned it down. I don't care at all about the clout that anything I could get from having a YouTuber like him on this show or anything else. I can't stand a talent that basically rewards jackassery. And not even like fun jackass or like the jackass guys. Like, hey, we're gonna put, you know, we're gonna put, uh, we're gonna put, you know, Roman candles on our rollerblades and go down a hill. Like that's kind of fun. I just mean people who think they are cool and they're just absolute nothings. That's what I don't like. You were gonna yeah. say? Yeah, totally agreed. And I, I laugh because to pull the curtain back a little bit more for the audience we had seen a story late in the show and i think we both laughed we're like oh jake paul's trending and we're like oh please tell me he said something racist come on big bucks no whammy stop it when you click you're like oh he just got raided by the fbi <laughs> we were both hoping he finally said something in today's culture that people were done with him and we were both so disappointed that it was just he got his fbi raided him now if he goes to jail that would be pretty damn cool but i tend to doubt that's going to come to that yeah i'll take jail i think jail would be okay but, you know, something worse than that would be even better, to be quite honest with you. Eight, seven, way, seven. Luke, I, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I've always told you, like, with Logan Paul, I, he never bothered me as much. He just strikes me as someone who knows how dumb he is and he's just doing to do stuff, you know, because he gets YouTube views. Jake Paul feels to me like he thinks he's the coolest dude in the world. And that's why he's more annoying. So I don't even care so much about Logan as much as I do. I want Jake Paul to go down and get canceled hardcore. Yeah, I agree. Of the two, he's probably worse. He's the one that shows up to places with like grills in his teeth and he thinks he's handsome. It's like, dude, do you think women are on you because of your looks? So here's the question one more time. We're just having fun with it. Just chill out if you're one of these hardcore people who's like, all right, cancel culture. Yeah, we do too. We're just having a little bit of fun with it. If you could be in charge of it for a day and there was just one person, celebrity, public figure, something. Who would you cancel and why? It's like Cobb and I were discussing. It's like, dude, we, you know, if you're like me and you're a fan of the now Washington football team, I have been praying for, I, I don't like no one. I have been praying for a tape of Dan Snyder to drop the N word for like 15 years at this point. Cause it's, you know, what else is going to get this guy out of here? Nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, why couldn't, you know how it killed Donald Sterling's career? Why couldn't it have been Dan Snyder? And I'm only saying that because he's just bad at managing the Redskins or whatever the hell they want to call him anymore, the Washington football team. You know, he's just been a disaster for him. It's like, dude, why can't that guy be the one that gets caught being, you know, 
the get her done guy behind the scenes? Why can't he be the one that does that? And it just never happens. So that's sort of what we're talking about here. If you could wish it upon someone you just dislike, not somebody who has done something and had a, you know, had a beef with cancel culture. I just mean independent of all that. Just, just a donk you hate. Let's go to Jeff in Winnipeg. Hi, Jeff. Who would you cancel if you could? Well, first of all, I just want to say that I think that you're the best in the business, whether it's the radio show or your show on YouTube. You you get it done in a better way than anybody else does, in my opinion. And uh, in terms of the cancel thing, um, I actually have two. Uh, One of them you're not going to like necessarily, uh, but we'll get to that. The first thing that I think needs to get canceled is not a person. It's the movie Revenge of the Nerds. Now, the reason why I say that is because that movie has taught a generation of nerds that if you uh, dress up like Darth Vader, you can rape the cheerleader. I know, I know what scene. I know what scene you're talking about, and I had forgotten it. And then when I rewatched the movie, like about a year or so ago, I was, I couldn't believe that scene was in there. But fair play to you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, and the second one, and I believe me, I I like this personality too, but when it comes to somebody like Brendan Schaub, he has gone, you know, uh, on his podcast made comments about an all-black Fox uh, desk for a UFC show, making comments about how they check the boxes, they're checking all the boxes. I don't understand how that can't be seen as racist. And the second part of it would be his complete and total uh, disregard for coronavirus. And then, of course, catching coronavirus and spreading it to untold other humans. Like I said, I'm a fan of Schaub. I watch his podcast all the time, but I don't understand how he's gotten away with these things. Fair enough. I appreciate the call, Jeff. And, And to plug Brendan Schaub, he and I have a video coming out later today. So be on the lookout there. Also, I would say, Cobb, I don't know if you've been paying attention. He has completely backed off the COVID stuff. Have you noticed that? Boy, I think you have to once you get it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I gave him a little, uh, we did a, we we do a series called coast to coast because obviously he lives one way out of the other. And, uh, and I gave him a little crap for it. I was like, stay COVID free, Brendan, you know, you need to, because he wears that bandana. I was, I was like, dude, why do you look like a 19th century bank robber? Like, you can't get a normal mask. I guess he doesn't want to, so he has to wear... He wears a bandana. It's hilarious. I don't know. I don't quite get it, but... Um, but I would say, in his defense, everybody... Yes, he listen, man. You know, and he and I have talked about it. Like, I, I completely disagree with everything he was saying before, but since he caught it, he has... You know, a, he's got bigger fish to fry uh, going on with what's on his show. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Brian Callen has taken a leave of absence. Because apparently, you know, he's been accused. I'll say this. He has been accused by four different women through an L.A. Times report of, uh, I guess, various forms of sexual harassment. So something like that. Anyway, so he's off that show temporarily. And, uh, you know, he's got bigger things to worry about. But I will say in his defense, since he caught COVID, I think he had a bit of a come to Jesus moment with it. You know, and I, I've been, I, I struggle with this all the time, Cobb, and sort of in a genuine point here. It's not about Brendan or not per se. I actually don't know what the right answer is. If you disagree with somebody and you really like them, what is the best way to convince them? Is it to slow pedal it and let them kind of figure it out on their own, which I'm not saying that Brendan and I 
see eye to eye on everything COVID related, but I doubt we're as far apart now as we once were. Or is it to, you know, bang them over the head with a rock until they get it? Like, what, what is the right answer? Because I've tried to bang them over the head with a rock bit. Sometimes that works. I found it backfires quite a bit. You know what, dude? I think it's case by case. It just depends on the person. But when it comes to this COVID stuff, I almost feel like it becomes we're at this point now, like when we talk about MMA, where like something bad has to happen before any rule change and stuff like that happens. I feel like if you don't believe that this is a thing and you don't believe in wearing a mask and all these things, you're not going to change your mind until you get it. And then maybe that will be the thing. But by then it's too late and you should have just listened to begin with. I think that's just the ultimate fate when it comes to these COVID conversations. You have yeah. to come down with it and then maybe you'll take the shit seriously. And also about COVID, it's like because we've done such a, an unbelievably bad job of controlling it it's like a slow moving disaster. You know what I mean? Like you can say, Oh, someone won't understand X until X affects them. But there's a lot of people who just won't understand it because it'll never happen to them. This is the point about COVID that I always tell people is like, it doesn't matter what you and I believe. If you just obey social distancing and you wear a mask when you're supposed to, I don't really have a beef with you. You know what I mean? It doesn't, at that point, it's like, what am I supposed to say? You're doing what you're supposed to. You're not exacerbating things. If you still want to believe at that point that, you know, uh, it's not a hoax per se, but it's oversold or, you know, you'll be fine, but you do what you're supposed to do. Like if he's wearing masks in situations where he's supposed to, and he's not out there on social media, by the way, hammering people with like retweets from Clay Travis you know, what, what really is my beef at that point that we disagree, but at the same point he's doing what he's supposed to, I don't care anymore. Like at that point, I'm not here to like peel open someone's scalp, dig inside and see what I can find, you know, in the deepest recesses of their mind and then, you know, rewire them there. All I care about is behavior because if the behavior is on point, then the results will be there. And if the results will be there, then we can get more forms of normal back a la, you know, Italy and Spain. That's all I, that's literally all I care about. So to the extent they are in compliance with that, then, you know, think whatever you want. I, I just don't care at that point. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas show live and in its entirety weekdays from three to 6 PM. Eastern on Sirius XM fight nation channel 156. on Twitter. Follow at L Thomas news and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.